Hi, and welcome to the Legal LGBT Podcast. I'm Eric Lesh, Executive Director of the LGBT Bar of New York. We call this episode, Stacking the Courts, the Fight Against Trump's Extremist Judicial Nominees. That's because in nomination after nomination, Trump's picks for the federal courts are hostile to civil rights in general and specifically hostile to LGBT rights. As the Senate tries to rubber stamp and rush these nominees through by confirming them at an alarming pace, Lambda Legal has spearheaded a broad effort to elevate the importance of this issue. Lambda is working overtime to expose the records and inform both senators and the public of the dangers Trump's nominees pose to our rights, to the rule of law, and to the nation itself. Before joining Legal as its executive director, I had the privilege of working as an attorney at Lambda Legal for nearly six years. As the director of the Fair Courts Project there, I worked to make sure that our community understood the critical link between LGBT rights and the state and federal judges who serve us. I'm thrilled to be speaking with my former Lambda Legal colleague, Sasha Bookert, a staff attorney in Lambda Legal's DC office who has been leading their amazing work in this area. Sasha spent her career fighting for our community. Before joining Lambda Legal, she served as a staff attorney and policy counsel at the Transgender Law Center, and before that at Basic Rights Oregon. She was the first openly transgender person to be appointed to an Oregon State Board, where she served as the chair of the Oregon State Hospital Advisory Board. Sasha also served proudly in the United States Marine Corps. So let's dig in. Hi, Sasha. Hi, Eric. Thanks for joining me today. How's DC? Good. Thanks for having me on your program. Uh, it's good. A little rainy. It's rainy here, too. All right, so um, I'm really thrilled to have you here to talk about the amazing work that Lambda Legal has been doing with respect to federal judicial nominations, raising up the visibility of the dangerous impact that Trump is having on our federal courts, particularly as we are increasingly reliant on federal courts to check some of the most outrageous actions of this administration. Can you talk to us a little bit about you know, what's at stake for the LGBT community? Why is this issue so important? And how bad are things getting? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, you know, as you just mentioned a second ago, you know, I don't think at any other time in our history have we really thought about how much, or at least I haven't really thought about how much courts matter. You know, I know you know this as a former Fair Courts Director at Lambda, uh, but you know I, I have been doing this work for about a year now, and it's just every day, you know, when you follow the news, you see another significant court decision. You know, because of the separation of powers, the courts are so important in stopping uh, some of the the really terrible policies that are coming out of the Trump administration. You know, it's not just LGBT issues. Obviously, it's the Muslim travel ban. It's it's the dream, it's DACA, it's um, comprehensive care, emoluments, the list goes on and on and on. It's the trans-military cases on the LGBT front. You know, we're fighting for um, non-discrimination protections for LGBT people. And there's so many different fronts that, you know, we're fighting this on. And, and, and the courts are absolutely pivotal. And it's so important that, you know, we have a fair and impartial judiciary. You know, if folks go to the, the courthouse and don't get equal justice under the law, uh, especially in an administration like this, you know, there's just, you know, no other um, 
uh, remedy. So it's so important that we do this work, and I'm proud to, to be here. Uh, Sharon McGowan uh, is leading this this work in, in D.C., and you helped put this program together in D.C., and, you know, uh, it's just really, really important that we're here and we're doing this and raising the visibility. Yeah, that's definitely true. And can you give us, I mean, for folks that don't follow this as closely as we do, can you talk a little bit about the overview of the sheer numbers uh, in terms of, you know, the vacancies on the federal bench um, that Trump inherited, um, some of the obstruction that we saw during the Obama administration that has really led to this kind of vacuum for Trump to be able to just appoint and confirm quickly so many nominees yeah it, yes you just you hit the nail on the on the head there uh with you know pointing out that you know trump inherited over 100 vacancies you know when um, he was elected in large part uh because of situations uh, that we saw similar to what we saw with uh, uh merrick garland's appointment our nomination you know that um the republicans under senator mcconnell just instructed nominees for years and so you know um, this was you know given to Trump when he took office and you know the Republicans quickly seized on this opportunity and have you know rammed through you know uh, nominee after nominee um, and have virtually removed every procedural safeguard that prevents you know uh, unqualified and, and uh, ideologically driven, nominees from moving forward and those are safeguards that you know protected everyone and uh, you know we're starting to see some of the results from from those poor choices uh, on the courts already um, and uh, uh, it's just really um, uh, a disaster in our opinion so you know there's just a lot of work that needs to be done you know we, and we are beating back you know nominees it's not like that work isn't being you know I think there's a, a little bit of pessimism on, on uh, uh, that, that follows this work because of the, the sheer um, uh, control of the Congress by the Republicans at this moment. But, uh, you know, we beat them, we beat, you know, several of them back and we'll continue to raise the visibility on them and, and uh, we'll be back others too as this moves forward. So when you talk about these procedural safeguards, people are pretty familiar with what happened to Merrick Garland, that they said, absolutely no, we're not holding any hearings, and, and nothing moved forward. He basically tried to interview with a couple of senators. The Republican senators in lockstep mostly said no, and the nomination went nowhere, and that was unprecedented. And now we're seeing, you know, trashing of other long-held Senate norms that gave Democrats some control to be able to have some say over the nominees, the qualifications. Can you tell us a little bit about what's changed? Yeah, I think the biggest uh, change uh, that we've seen is that a you know most of the nominees that you know have been nominated and confirmed so far have been nominees and 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 places where you know Trump you know. Uh, handily won the election uh, in, in southern and midwestern states because um, there's this uh, long-standing uh, practice within the Senate that uh, both home state senators are uh, asked to submit what they call a blue slip. And that gets pretty wonky, you know, for, for folks that might not be familiar with this, but it just allows a home state senator to uh, have meaningful um, uh, input and on the nominees that come from their states. And this is, you know, a, a tradition that's been in the Senate for, you know, over a hundred years, 
and uh, Senator Grassley, as uh, the Senate Judiciary Chairman, has uh, essentially uh, decided to disband with the Blue Slip tradition altogether. You know, they've already uh, nominated, you know, several nominees. You know, one in the state of Minnesota that was moved forward without um, home state approval from both home state senators. Uh, and there was recently one from uh, uh, Oregon who was appointed to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals named Ryan Bounds. And, uh, you know, and then most recently, there's another one that's coming up uh, that's going to be nominated to the Third Circuit Court of Appeals from Pennsylvania without approval from Senator Casey named uh, David Porter. You know, and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, the nominees like Ryan Bounds and David Porter have, you know, both have uh, histories of opposing LGBT equality, and this is a way, this is a back-end uh, way for Republicans to jam through these nominees in parts of the country where they normally wouldn't be able to because they can't get home state senator approval. You know, so it's just this ongoing, you know, it's part and parcel of, you know, the Trump uh, administration's, you know, work and the Republicans' work to undermine courts more generally. If you look at what's happening on the state courts, which you know, I know less about than what's happening on the federal side, but you know, there's just been this onslaught of uh, attacks on our judiciary, both on the state level and the federal level. And part of that, you know, work is, is designed to remove um, the safeguards, you know, the, the, the guardrails that, you know, uh, have those kinds of, you know, those, those um, procedural <laughs> uh, um, pieces are so important to prevent unqualified. And, and really, it's less the unqualified aspect of this, though, than it is that Republicans and the Trump administration just want ideologically driven uh, nominees who, you know, have, you know, very clear views about, you know, reproductive rights and LGBT rights and uh, immigrant rights. And, you know, it's no accident that the same folks that we're opposing are being opposed, you know, almost across the board by all the civil rights organizations. Great. Terrible records on voting rights and reproductive justice. Let's dig right in. You've got us teed up to talk about some of the most unqualified and ideologically driven nominees that we've seen. And I know you're an expert on this. Um, please give us, you know, kind of just a, a view of some of their records and how worried we should be. I know that I saw Lambda Legal put out a statement that one in 10 um, Circuit court judges at this point have been appointed by the Trump administration. Yeah, that's correct. Um, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> if, if folks aren't uh, that familiar with the circuit courts, you know, they you know they hear you know uh, tens of thousands of cases every year. You know, the Supreme Court would hears you know much fewer, maybe less than a hundred. And uh, you know it's it's so important to have impartial you know uh, justices on the or judges on the on the circuit courts throughout the country and infecting them you know with these ideolog ideologically driven uh, nominees is going to have a long term impact on the lives of vulnerable communities. These are folks that are going to be on the bench for 10, 20, 30 years. And to answer your question more specifically, you know some of the more troubling folks that we've seen, you know especially on the LGBT front. You know, are people, you know, um, uh, like Kyle Duncan, you know, who we, you know, spent a, a lot of time working to defeat, who, you know, is a, um, a nominee who is like the worst Waldo of, of anti-civil rights um, uh, nominees. Uh. The guy's incredible, you know. He, um, you know, uh, opposed marriage equality every step of the way, asked the Supreme Court to strike down the Fourth Circuit, striking down their marriage ban, you know, uh, when that litigation was happening, 
was on the wrong side in the Gavin Grimm case, you know, trying to keep Gavin Grimm from having equal protections in a school, you know, was uh, defended the architects of HB2, you know, uh, asked the Supreme Court to strike down, you know, a ruling from the Fourth Circuit Court saying that the voter ID law in North Carolina targeted African Americans with certain you know, it's just amazing. And, you know, and this guy selected all of these cases, you know, no one, you know, uh, came to his office and said, uh, Mr. Duncan, you must take these cases. He's purposely cherry picked them, you know, and uh, <laughs> it, it's very clear that, you know, those are ideologically driven decisions, you know, to, to weigh in on all these civil rights, you know, questions. And, you know, oftentimes when folks are talking about judicial nominations, you know, <laughs> It's very, uh, you know, I hate to use this word, but it, it becomes very hypocritical very quickly in my experience in that one of the objections raised, you know, especially when, you know, folks from the civil rights community raise objections about these these folks is that, well, this is just a lawyer doing his job, you know, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, that's, that's, A, it's hypocritical in that, you know, in the last administration, folks like uh, Chairman Grassley uh, have very uh, unequivocally stated their views that, you know, uh, you know, that it, it, it's impossible to believe that he said at one point that, you know, an, uh, a, a liberal uh, nominee would spend their entire career working on these issues if they did not passionately believe them, you know, or, you know, Sessions at one point said, well, you know, no one forced you to sign that brief. You know, just most recently, Ted Cruz um, voted against a nominee because of his representation on, the, on, the state, on the behalf of the state of Hawaii. So it's hypocritical, but you know, but the, the larger point is, you know, so I just those those carry, those arguments carry no weight with me if they're not going to point them out, you know, under a Republican, you know, uh, uh, when the shoes on the other foot. But um, but more importantly, you know, um, these are questions that should be asked. They should be asked universally, you know, about whether a, can, a nominee is going to be able to impartial equal justice is going to be able to administer equal justice on the law are they are they are they there because they're looking at the law and interpreting the law or are they there because they're you know um ideologically driven and want to enforce through the courts what they couldn't enforce as a lawyer so those are the bigger questions and uh, there's been a shocking level of evasion um from the nominees when they're up there answering questions, they've been able to kind of get around really answering any questions of substance. Um, and why is that different and why is that so dangerous? Well, you know, and that brings up a, yeah, that's a great uh, uh, point in that, um, you know, the, the, A, it undermines the Senate's duty to provide, you know, the, under the Constitution, <clears throat> they have a duty to uh, provide advice and consent on uh, judicial nominees, and uh, you know that prevents them from being able to do that, you know, meaningfully. Uh, but it raises, but it also raises a, a larger question about the failure um, to uh, a failure to, uh, of candor, to be honest, uh, with a lot of these nominees. You know that, um, including uh, there's a nominee for the Middle District of um, Alabama that you know was. Um, uh, um, Rescinded after it was revealed. His name is Jeff Talley, or uh, Jeff Talley, yeah. Brett Talley. Sorry, Brett Talley for the Middle District of Alabama, who um, uh, didn't disclose that he had published, you know, a thousand blog posts to the Senate Judiciary Committee when he uh, applied. And the kicker is that that's the same person that provides um, uh, uh, coaching to the judicial nominees that come through. And we've seen nominee after nominee 
who have failed to disclose, you know, uh, relevant information. There was a nominee named Gordon G.M. Petro from uh, with the Eastern District of Wisconsin who's been nominated, who was nominated by Trump, who has, you know, uh, who did a couple of radio interviews uh, where he disclosed, where he stated, you know, just I'm not even going to repeat them. They were so uh, triggering, you know, uh, comments about the LGBT uh, community and. Uh, didn't disclose that information on this questionnaire, so in, you know, to the state uh, nomination. So you know, it's just unbelievable that these folks feel like they can get away with not uh, uh, being. Uh, uh, well, can you imagine? I mean, if there are lawyers out there, just the idea of not disclosing, you know, those kinds of writings or, or uh, public appearances is just, you know, uh, unbelievably dodgy. Yeah, and it it really stresses just how important it is that Lambda Legal is out there looking for and doing this intense research on the backgrounds of these nominees to pull out and highlight some of these aspects of their record because without the work that you do, we don't really get to see the full picture of just how um, ideologically driven and extreme some of their the blogs, the statements, the interviews that they've given that have just, you know, demagogued the LGBT community, and that wouldn't be public, part of the public record, but for, you know, groups like Lambda doing that really hard digging into their records because they're just not disclosing it. Yeah, I agree. You know, Alliance for Justice does really great work with that, too. You know, um, and, you know, we're going to continue to raise the visibility on troubling nominees, whether it's through videos or statements or... You know, in whatever way we can, uh, but we do hope that that people get excited about this. You know, uh, you know, I think historically, the um, right has been much more uh, um, excited about judges than the left uh, because they see how that can shape, you know, policy, you know, in the long run, and you know, provide a safe harbor when you know, their folks aren't, you know, in office. But but we need to shift that narrative and and. Uh, get people excited and involved and understand, you know, how important it is. And, you know, we need to, you know, our job as advocates is to, is to connect those dots for people and say, look, you know, there, if you look at what's happening right now with all the litigation that's challenging all of these terrifying policies coming out of, you know, the Trump administration and their agencies and, um, and, and that the courts are beating those issues back, can you It's just important. It's for the sake of our country that we hope folks get more involved with this. So give us a little bit of optimistic news. There's, you know, something that makes me feel good and like I want to get active is knowing that we have defeated at least a few of these folks by really highlighting in an intense way just how bad they are. Can you talk about um, some of the biggest victories that we've had? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, I, you know, I think that, you know, it's easy to to be a little pessimistic about it, but, you know, uh, we have won huge victories and we will continue to win one significant one that comes to mind. Nominated in the Eastern District of Texas, they've got the fear, you know, uh, had all kinds of problems, but, you know, was, you know, caught on video saying that trans kids are part of, uh, quote, Satan's plan. And, uh, you know, that, that uh, picking out that, that, that statement and, and, and raising the visibility on it uh, was a huge success and helped defeat his nomination altogether. Uh, and, you know, when even Republican senators are sitting in a, in a committee hearing and 
and quoting that to nominees and asking them, you know, have you ever said this? You know, is a good sign, I think, that, you know, we're doing our, our job right, but, you know, we need to continue to do that. And there's others, you know, that have, uh, you know, there's a person named Stephen Schwartz who was nominated to serve on the Federal Court of Claims, uh, the, the Court of Federal Claims, who um, referred to Justice Kennedy as a judicial prostitute. Uh, you know, you know, there's just, yeah, it's just, again, it, um, unfortunately, it's just not that unexceptional at this point, you know, to hear those kinds of things from uh, a lifetime appointment on the, on the judiciary. That's a 15 year term, but it's not that unexceptional for even lifetime appointment. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, one of the other things that that brings up for me is just how young some of these appointments have been and unqualified. I mean, two of them have been rated unanimously unqualified by the ABA. Um, I think I read somewhere that 19 have been under the age of 45. Um, so, you know, for lifetime appointments, this is a troubling trend. And um, I think what I also want to get to is diversity. I mean, you know, we've made real strides with the diversifying the federal bench under Obama. We had, um, you know, many openly gay and lesbian judges. We saw, you know, many of them here in New York, many who were uh, the first lesbian Latina judge, the first African-American gay male judge. And now we're going backwards with you know, just a total lack of diversity from Trump's nominees. Can you talk about what that looks like and why that matters? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, it's it's just absolutely uh, hey, uh, terrible, you know, what's happening with the diversity of the nominees that are being, you know, introduced. They're all, you know, younger, as you said, almost universally men, almost universally white, uh, and I think it's less than 20% are, are, like, are folks of color. And, um, uh, you know, maybe one, I have to look at the statistics as a, as a African-American, you know, the numbers are just, you know, absolutely. And it is so important that, you know, as a litigant, you know, that, you know, having um, folks of color and diversity on the bench, you know, that, that uh, have a wider experience that, that can, um, uh, that folks can understand, you know, the the, the background and, and and be able to, you know, um, uh, move past their their you know uh, implicit bias. We know that's something that we all have, and uh, the chances of all of these deeply ultra conservative young white men that are almost universally members of the Federal Society. It's not guilt by association. It's just that you know the folks that come from that organization often have extremely conservative views. Uh, and it's just, you know, unlikely that they're going to be able to administer equal justice under the law um, in the same way that a more diverse judiciary uh, does. You know, there's, you know, just take the Fifth Circuit, for example. You know, there's, I think, 30 million people that live in Texas, um, Louisiana, and Mississippi. And, uh, you know, huge percentage, almost half of the, the population in Texas, for example, is, is uh, Latino. And there are, uh, I think, two uh, uh, Latino judges on the Fifth Circuit, you know, and and uh, um, I think maybe one African American, you know. So it just, you know, the absolute uh, failure to, you know, move advance. And of course, this goes without saying, but there have been approximately zero uh, openly LGBT, you know, nominees that have been uh, uh, advanced uh, in the Trump administration. So, you know, this is again part of the 
extreme hostility that this administration has shown for our community, but uh, just more broadly, you know, when talking about race and, and um, gender, you know, it's an absolute failure uh, to provide, you know, um, real diversity on the bench. So yeah, I remember at the um, end of the the right before the election, there were a lot of pieces about oh, speculating, you know, who would be, uh, you know, a, a President Clinton's uh, pick to the Supreme Court that might be um, openly gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and going through the list of kind of qualified people that we had was so exciting. And now to see Neil Gorsuch, who I would I would like to get your feelings about, um, you know, just how right we were when we were screaming about Neil Gorsuch. Can you talk about why he's so concerning to begin with, and then how he's proved the civil rights community right with his decision making? Yeah, you know, this is somebody who you know we rightfully um, flagged early on. You know that you know this, you know a Supreme Court vacancies should never be based on, you know, the, the former, the position that they're replacing, and that, you know, that, that narrative, um, fortunately, is about replacing Scalia's seat, which it should never have been, and, uh, you know, and we're likely fight facing another Supreme Court vacancy uh, slash nomination soon, so we have to be prepared for that. I don't have any information to lead me to believe that's going to happen, but I think, we, you know, we need to be prepared, so... Uh, but Gorsuch is, you know, shown as true colors, you know, uh, you know one of the most uh, you know, uh, heartbreaking decisions, really, was, you know, one that was just um, released last week and um, uh, a, a ruling that uh, would, uh, requi- would, would require that folks, um, uh, uh, workers, um, have to comply with arbitration clauses in their, in their um, employment. So they wouldn't be able to bring class action lawsuits in the way that they could before this decision. So you know, this is setback for um, LGBT workers, and you know, as as you know, Lambda Legal has has really um, uh, done a lot of work in this area. You know, we have our out at work program, you know, which uh, includes a lot of litigation, you know, advancing protections for LGBT workers. But you know, workers' rights is a huge part of what you know we are focused on, and this decision, you know, written by him just shows us, you know, that, you know, this is, this is somebody that, you know, is going to continue to roll back protections for workers and civil rights more generally. You know, there's another workers' rights coming up, decision that we're expecting soon, Janus, you know, which um, is, you know, um, you know, we're on pins and needles on, uh, on, but could likely be another setback for workers as well. So, you know, the Supreme Court is, is such an important battlefield right now, and if there is a vacancy nomination, I just hope that anybody who's listening uh, gets involved, and, and uh, there are numerous ways that people can do that, but especially with the Kennedy uh, uh, retirement, uh, it's so important that, that folks uh, get plugged in and, and uh, take some action. And so finally, can you just give, an, give us a little bit of an idea for our listeners what they can do to take action on circuit court nominees, on uh, district court nominees, to actually dig in, share information about how harmful these folks would be, raise up the visibility of this issue? What can folks do? Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Eric. I really appreciate that. There's so many things, you know, uh, you know uh, one of the most helpful ways that people can get involved is, is, is just learning more about who the nominees are in your state or your wherever you live. 
and uh, contacting your senator. You know, uh, we hear, you know, in every judiciary, Senate judiciary hearing I go to, you know, senators, especially the Republicans, like to, you know, um, wave these letters they've received from, from folks in their home states, you know, talking about how great they are. Well, we need to counter those letters with letters from folks in those home states that can, you know, um, uh, uh, state that this is not a good nominee for um, uh, our state and won't be able to impartial, um, uh, won't be able to administer impartial justice to the folks in our state. So, you know, um, getting involved and just learning about who they are, you know, it's a little bit of a challenge because they're all clones, as we've already, you know, gone over. You know, they're all ultra-conservative, you know, white men with the same haircut, basically. And so, but, but, but learning who they are and and, uh, and sharing that information, you know, with uh, with other folks is really helpful. If you're in the legal community, uh, legal voices have a lot of weight in, in these in these questions. So contacting your senator and, and uh, you know really urging them to, to vote against you know these folks. You know, um, sometimes we unfortunately we see you know moderate Democrats voting uh, in favor of some of them, the really terrible ones, you know, and, which is surprising, you know. Um, but, you know, we just we would love more uh, help from folks, you know, contacting their senator and, and, and getting energized about this. And, and uh, you know, I don't know how much I can talk about this, but, you know, also this this is important to think about with the upcoming election. You know, uh, it's really it's really important that we take the Senate back so we can keep these folks from moving forward. And so you know, getting involved with that in any way that you can, I think, is, would be helpful. Yeah. And then I guess I would just, you know, also highlight that our institutions and norms are under attack. So to the extent that folks, you know, I remember when the ABA came out with their unanimously unqualified ratings, and then, you know, to a person, every senator was like, the ABA is a liberal organization, they have no credit, they carry no weight. Um, so just for lawyers to speak out and say, look, the ABA gives these ratings, they're, you know, nonpartisan ratings, we pay attention to them in every administration, this really matters. And then, you know, kind of speaking out about what's happened to the blue slip, the trashing of like any kind of advice and consent. Those are issues that everyone can raise up regardless of where they live. But if you live in Iowa particularly, get out there and tell Grassley, tell McConnell that you want some oversight. Um, can you tell folks about where they can find out about Lambda Legal's work on this? Because you've got such great um, resources. People don't have to search through the internet to find out more about these folks. You guys are doing it. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Yeah, if you um, if you just Google Lambda Legal and judicial nominations, uh, we have a whole um, part of our website uh, that is um, devoted just to. Um, all of the nominees that we are specifically opposing, and it's broken down by circuit. Um, so if you're not sure what circuit you're in, you can just Google that, and, and that'll tell you right away. But um, uh, there's there's only you know um, a few of them, so it won't be hard for you to figure out. Uh, but uh, it's really we have all of the you know um, uh, letters that we've sent, and you know often a blog post or two about the nominees, and uh, we also frequently tweet about them if you're you want to follow Lambda Legal on Twitter, you can um, uh, see some of the, the activity, you know, and we usually live tweet during the Senate Judiciary hearings, you know, to raise visibility on, on the different folks. We've done a few different videos uh, trying to capture, you know, the, um, the really terrible records of, of the nominees. Uh, so there's, there's a number of ways that folks can get info from our website or from our social media. 
That's right. And that's at lambdalegal.com. And what's your Twitter, Sasha? Uh, Lambda Twitter? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know, so I'll have to look <laughs> that up for you. Wait, what about your personal Twitter? Don't you tweet on this issue? Yeah. Yeah, I am. I do. I tweet all the time, and I'm just, my name is, it's just my name. My Twitter handle is just my name, which is Sasha, Sasha Booker. S-A-S-H-A-B-U-C-H-E-R-T, so at Sasha Booker. Great. We'll follow you. We'll live tweet you. We'll share it. Um, and I certainly appreciate you sharing some time with me. It's good to see you again and uh, to be chatting one of our favorite topics, though, hopefully someday we'll get to chat about this when it looks a little bit more promising for our community and our rights. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks, Sasha. Thanks for listening. This and future podcasts can also be found online at iTunes or at legal.podbean.com. Follow Legal on Twitter at LGBTBarNY or like us on Facebook. Follow me at E.D. Lesh. Thanks again. Back in June for our regular edition of the LGBT Law Notes podcast with Professor Art Leonard. Happy Pride.